Hi there, it's Roscoe here and welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast. Recently, Callaway gave us the opportunity to sit and hear from the great Roger Cleveland. Now, the Cleveland name has been synonymous in golf for a number of years, but since 1995, the name Roger Cleveland has only been associated with one brand, and that's Callaway. Today, we hear from the great man, Roger Cleveland. We get the chance to ask him some questions, and we hear a little bit more about the recent release of the new Jaws Full Toe. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. You'll hear a number of different voices, people from Callaway Head Office here in Australia, people from the Drum and Golf Head Office here in Australia, and some of my colleagues asking some questions. You'll hear Jamie Cook, the CEO of Drum and Golf, recount a time when he played with Roger Cleveland at Kingston Heath in 2015. I was lucky enough to be part of that foursome, and it was one of the greatest golf experiences of my life. It was awesome to be able to reconnect with Roger and listen to him chat to us about his experiences in the world of golf with Callaway. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this episode with Roger Cleveland. Thanks to Drum and Golf and thanks to Callaway. privilege for me to do the intro. Um, as I told the last group, Roger and I uh, met some time ago, probably at a PGA show, we were introduced to each other, but we, we were fortunate to have a game together in what I now know was November 2015, Roger, which I just checked. And the way I checked was I found a photo in my phone and checked the date on it. That particular day, Roger was introduced to my golf game, which as many of you know, involves trying to rifle it as far down the fairway as possible and then taking about five shots to get up and down from 50 metres out. So I do recall having a, having a half-hour wedge lesson on the back of the 18th at uh, Kingston Heath. I will say, Roger, it hasn't got much better since then, but that's OK. Uh-oh. Roger and I have a shared passion also in that uh, that day at Kingston Heath, we um, we probably connected the most by uh, when we got into the bar and bypassed the beer and had a glass of red wine. And in an interesting article I read recently, uh, Roger was asked what he'd be doing if he wasn't in the golf industry, and he said he'd be working in the wine industry. But more to the point about the type of guy Roger is, in that same article, the interviewer asked Roger, Tiger or Jack, question mark. And Roger's answer is Jack, and then there's a full stop, and he says, Mr. Nicholas. And I think that points to the way yeah. Roger's conduct himself in the, in the industry. You know, Roger's been associated with Cleveland Golf and Callaway Golf, they're both fantastic brands. But as I did note previously, Roger, he started Cleveland in 1979. That was three years before Callaway and five years after Drum and Golf started. So we've all got lo- we've all got long history in the golf industry. Yes, we do. Roger, I guess you get asked this a lot, but we'll we'll start off at the at the beginning. How did you get into club design? You're a master craftsman now, obviously, but give us a little bit of the rundown on how it all started. Real quickly, I, I, I started fairly early on collecting uh, uh, patent golf clubs, but prior to 1930, they had to have a hickory shaft. And so I have maybe 600 or so uh, of these clubs that somebody thought they were unique enough to uh, go to the patent office and patent something. And so, but through that experience of doing that and collecting it, you see all kinds of different designs. And um, and so I have learned a lot. That's been my education to to golf. I, I play golf as a youth and 
it played well enough to be able to get a, a college scholarship and, and uh, uh, not sure I've used that, you know, what I've learned in college that much. Or I'm not sure they taught me much about business anyway. But anyway, I, uh, I, I learned a lot from, from that uh, collection of that stuff and, and the design. And, and uh, I think you have to have a an affinity for that to start with, and which I I'm blessed to have, and so I I see things in design and and love that part of it, and that's where when I uh, was summarily booted out of of, of uh, Cleveland, uh, but Callaway uh, Ely and and Dick Helmstetter were kind enough to say, why don't you come and do some design work for us, and I I love the opportunity to do that. I love design, so that's how I uh, got into it, and. and I got into it really with a putter of Bobby Jones, tried to replicate it as a T-Prize and went back to PGA show at that time in 80 and, and uh, or 79. And, and, and there wasn't uh, too many good woods made at that time. This place had a, that I had the putter made, we're making some uh, persimmon woods. And, and so uh, I went back and said, let's do it this way. And, and I had some buddies on the tour and I went out to them on the tour and said, take a look. And they, that's how it started. And uh, I think it was 86, we were the number one wood at the, at the Masters, which was a smaller field, obviously, but a pretty, pretty uh, quality field, and, and, uh, which was quite something for us. And then we did wedges. Uh, the first wedge I did uh, was an 85 that we introduced. It was, it was the fourth iron set, so that was called a 485. It won a few U.S. Opens with Curtis Strange, and then... I kept going out on tour, and that was the test center for me. And so we developed the 588, which is three years later in the fifth generation, and that's become a pretty popular wedge. So that's how it started. And then in uh, after being booted out in 95, the end of 95, Ely, Ely said, come on. And so I started with irons. Actually, I started with a – they asked me to do some putters, and uh, I said, great. So I went and studied the tour, and the tour really influences putter sales. So I said, here are the six most popular putters on tour. And so I, I presented that to uh, the folks, and they said, that's great. We'll make those putters, but they can't have a hosel. That was kind of an interesting design requirement. Um, I said, well, they have to have a hosel. Well, Find out, you know, do something without a hosel. So we had a lot of shaft in and do different. That's how I started. And then I did the X12, 14, 16, that sort of thing. It's been good. And that was 25. That was in 96 January that I started the Callaway. I think we can all remember the uh, X12s and onwards from there. I, I guess it is an interesting fact, uh, as, you know, most of us relate you to wedges, but, you know, to be involved in some of the biggest selling iron sets that we ever made is uh a feather in your cap as well, I guess. So. Maybe just while we're talking about design and stuff, uh, Roger, you want to just maybe fast forward and let's talk a little bit about the um, new full-toe wedge that we're going to be releasing in the next little while and um, the history of that with the PM grind. And then we might talk a little bit about uh, wedge fitting and that after that. Well, the, the full-toe is not a replacement of the PM grind, Phil's wedge. It doesn't have the offset. It has a very little offset actually so it has a really nice transition from the hosel down to leading edge and easier to line up for most people and a lot of people like the 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 shape of it it has a high toe um and that came from phil and and uh should i go in to tell you the story how the the that was created 
Do you want to hear that story? I'm going along and and uh, and gainfully employed, and then all of a sudden there's a report over here called the Darrow Survey that that tells you what every pro is using, and then all of a sudden I see Phil Mickelson using a ping lob wedge, and I'm going, oops, I better I better look into that because I enjoy my once in a while I get a check, you know, and and uh, so I called him up and then, and he told me why and and because uh, he opens it up in a, a traditional size uh, wedge, he felt he would go under the ball, and so I took two of our wedges and cut them in half, welded one on top of the other, took a sharpie and and uh, oh, I ground out a higher toe shape, took out the added weight that I put on the top down in the back of the the, the sole and took a sharpie and indicated where the grooves would be. And I took it out to to him at the PGA Championship at Valhalla. And uh, this was years ago, and, and uh, not that many years ago, but years, several years ago. And, and uh, took it to him on a Monday afternoon late, actually. He was kind of disappointed and a little exasperated with me because it didn't come earlier. He's not, he's very patient, you know, that man. And anyway, he, he, um, he got it. And at Valhalla, the, the little short game area was right next to the putting green. And he started hitting this wedge, like the, like the look of it. So I got lucky there. And he said, what are these lines on the top? I said, these are simulation. This is where the grooves would be if, if we would machine it and so forth. And he said, okay. So he started hitting some shots out of rough. And he put on a, a clinic to where the guys that were putting, this is the PGA Championship. Monday. It's early, but it was in the afternoon. There were, I don't know, six, seven, eight guys on the putting green. They all stopped and went over to watch him. He was hitting, there was a little downhill out of out of pretty thick rough. Usually the PGA has rough. And he was hitting this shot and the, and the gallery was really close to the back of this green. And he would have taken out two or three of them if he would have boned one of these shots. He was He was hitting it so hard. So he would take this and he would flop this thing and the, the pin was, you know, very close and it would just land like a butterfly with sore feet. OK. And and he says, well, I got to I got to use this. I said, well, this is just a prototype now. You know, I was trying to make excuses that where I could make one that look, you know, better. He says, I don't care. I'm going to, you know, I like it. He actually used it in the tournament. And Chip Brewer, our, our CEO, said, well, we got to we got to commercialize this, you know, so. That's where that's where it came, and that's where the high toe, mimicking the ping I two in that in that area where you open the face, you gotta get away from the hosel and you get up the face with loft. So, and then during that process, he he got into the grooves, and why don't we just put the whole face of grooves? Because I I have grass stains way at the top, and I want to have control. I want to have as much control and on the ball, and you do with if you have some uh, a groove hitting it. That's where it all came from. But going back to the full toe, this is not a replacement. This is just an additional complement to the line of a, kind of a more traditional looking full toe. How would you talk through the club fitting process for for a member golfer? Where would you where would you start, and how how would that process look from your perspective? Well, if you're not you're not uh, working with a set of irons and you're going into straight wedges, you got to look at where the loft of the pitching wedge is and actually really put it on a lie loft machine and find out what the loft is. You probably know all the different manufacturers 
if it's uh, Callaway, you certainly would know it. But I would start there and determine where you want to go at the highest loft and uh, try and uh, determine how many uh, wedges he, he should have, uh, how much effort the person is going to put in the short game to, to advance. It's the easiest way to advance your lower your score. But if he's strong, I you know, 60 is okay. If he's not so strong, the person, lady or man, 58 or even 56. If he's weak and feeble like me, maybe 56 would be the uh, the, the highest loft. I know when, when I started, 56 was the highest loft. It wasn't until Kite and uh, came along where we started really bringing in the 60. So I would uh, determine what that is and then uh, fill it in in gaps of four or five. I like 50, 55, 60, typically 45 degree pitching wedge. Unless you're in, you know, getting the Japanese sets and they're 41 degrees pitching wedge and I have no idea what to do. Actually, I do. Just, just stick in a, a pitching wedge. Um, what but about chocolates? Well, I would look at I would look at the person's technique. And indoors, I think it's really kind of, you know, an interesting way. You're, you're hitting in, in a bay, and, and uh, the best way to really fit a lob wedge, and, and it's really the lob wedge is the most critical. The other wedges are less critical. You need to have the right loft, okay? But all, all manufacturers, and especially Callaway, we have the right bounce for the, those mid wedges on down because you're hitting the ball first. It's not critical. What, what what becomes critical is when you're not hitting the ball first, when 40 yards and in, when you have to use the sole to slide underneath the ball and actually, you know, uh, contact the turf before the ball so it can slide. And that skid plate, that bounce, that angle has to match the, the attack angle. And when you have really firm conditions like you have on the base of a, of a fitting area, not the, not the simulated fairway, but even tighter, it's really better, in my opinion. You can really fit properly with that. You can look at the technique and then match the sole to the technique. So you might use a lie board for that? Uh, yeah, you could, but I, I, that's typically for, for lie. I mean, you could, you could. You could put on some tape and find out where you actually contact. But, it, but I, I like to do it just by eyesight and, and sound. You can hear the sound. One of the questions is, was around, uh, you know, uh, flatter lie angles for wedges, for the high loft yep. wedges. Is that something you advocate? or? Absolutely. Typically, the, the set should be upright, down, down a little bit flatter uh, as you go into more loft. You know, when you want to create actually more loft, you lower your hands. And, and when you do that, you don't want the toe coming up too much or you're you're going to be shooting the ball off to the left as that, that loft wants to do. So you, it's, it's better and more versatile to lower, lower your hands and not, not uh, create an angle where it's going to go left so you, you flatten the, the wedge a little bit, just one or two degrees. Cool. And the other thing with shaft, you mentioned shaft. I like, I like to keep the same weight, but I like to, just in the lob wedge to go a little bit softer. If you know, and and one of the things we do is in your gap wedges and your sand wedge, I would match it to the pretty close to the set. And we have, you know, I mean, you offer the graphite shaft that we have down there, which is great for most most folks that are my age. I think I think you you know, I mean, you don't have to be outside to properly fit somebody for wedges. You can do it really nicely inside. Roger, I'm going to ask you a similar question to the last session, but this is more in the context. I'm, as I'm looking at the guys here, there's a lot of good players here as well. And you, you've made some comments in the last session about the way these modern young players 
um, set their hands and and use their wedges. Do you want to comment on that? Sure. You're, you're talking about tour players, right, Jamie? Yep. Yeah. The the the, the quality of of short game today, I think, is is way better than in years past because of uh, instruction. There's uh, product, and and uh, in the amount of time that that these guys devote to that short game, and especially that lob wedge, that 30 or 40 yards in inside. They're, that's where they're going to miss four or five greens, and they'll come out with a 68, you know, and, and uh, uh, they they take some time. I know Phil spends a lot of time, and, and so do the other guys, but the technique is the Jason Day, Steve Stricker, Jordan Spieth type technique where there's not a lot of set. You can rotate your, your arms, your forearms, to create more loft and, and expose the sole. Uh, more, but the 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 risk cocking this way is is not good, and that's your full swing where where you can have time on your full swing. You have a bigger swing that you can unload, but you 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 want to hit the ball first. You have forward shaft lean, and on the short game, you are 30 or 40 yards and in. You want to put the sole on the ground before the ball and let it skid like a skid plate through the ball. And to do that with speed. You have less set, and then you have you create the speed and control and distance control and trajectory by the rotation of your or trajectory by ball position, but the rotation of speed by the rotation of your body, and the width keeps that the the distance of the swing or the width of the swing, so you can you can slide under that ball and do different things that you want to do, hit it high or low or whatever you want to do, but it gets very consistent, and I've seen practice areas on very tight conditions where the the pros will go and I love going out and watching these guys like that I just mentioned and the the ground will not you you won't see any variation of the ground it's all the same there were no divots at all because they're just picking it picking it they're using the sole as a skip plate but when you get beyond that 40 or 50 yard then you start to have forward shafting and it becomes less that little bit less important of what what you really have on the sole at that point, then uh, 40 yards on in, that's that's critical. And bunkers too, bunkers you'll see a lot of rotation. You'll see at the top of the club where the the, the face is pointing in a direction you've never seen. It's by the rotation to create loft, so you can create speed. You have to have speed to get the the ball up, but that's on short siding yourself. That's what you do. And you'll see guys when they get in the bunker, they'll they'll get a wide stance to to get a little further away from the the ball, and they'll lower the the handle, they'll lower the grip. Okay, that's what you do in in, in uh, when you're your lie, what you're doing with your flatter lie. You lower the grip, it creates more loft, and the ball will just come straight out. Uh, Lincoln, I think you're on the line. You had a question for Roger. I just had a question about when you're working uh, with different players. Which players did you work with where they were just locked in on specs and bounce, where they were just they already had what they wanted to do and they just stuck with it? And then on the other end, what players were there where they just wanted to try something that was totally different and outside of what they'd ever done before? By trial and error, they'll they'll have found something that works. They'll they'll find something that works. You can, you can tell really quickly based upon their standard technique. They might need to modify it. They, they, that might tell them that they need to modify their technique and get with their with their instructor based upon the conditions. Today, today we have so many options that we can 
who can get something really quickly to, to what they want. I see more and more guys going and trying to emulate the the days and the strickers and and because it's success. I mean, you see, I mean, Jason, I mean, not Jason, but uh, Stricker is, I mean, Spieth, for example, hasn't done very well or hitting, you know, like he normally does, but he gets it up and down. And there are statistics out on tour because they have a statistic for everything these days. But it shows how important that short game is and how good these guys are. And you go and want to look. And pros out there, they'll they look at those things and they'll go find who who's good. Why why is this guy so good? And uh, and they'll ask the instructor. They'll see what's going on. And they look at the equipment and what he's using. What kind of bounce? It's all player dependent, but they're turning into and variations of that. They they need to put the sole on the ground before the ball. Now, Mickelson does it a different way, but he does it. He releases the hell out of it. And I was telling the folks before, there's a video of, of he and I, we did a, a series at Callaway called Wedgication, and um, where he puts a ball, 35, I put a club on the ground, a wedge, 35 inches, put a ball there and he hits it over my head, and I'm six feet, okay? I'm actually probably 5'11 now. That, that was three or four years ago, five years ago. He, he swings at 90 miles an hour, okay, with this shot. I mean, you have to, to get the ball up there. And this is with a 60, not a 64. This is a 60 degree. And it's on YouTube. It's, it's there. You'll see it. It has some hits, about three. But he's, he's a character. But he works at it. These guys work at their short game. And that's what amateurs need to do. They need to understand you need to spend some time, take a lesson instead of, you know, the old boring lesson to try and get, you know, one more yard. Of course, we do sell drivers, don't we? But the driver gives you 20 yards. This is, you know, but go get a lesson out of the short game. Fastest way to improve your game and have more enjoyment. I think one of the uh, things we were talking about before, Roger, was how often you think a club golfer might replace their lob wedge due to wear and tear, um, obviously, more often than they do every, every, every six weeks. It's just the, the highest loft, whether it be 58 oh. or 60. Okay. The other ones, they should replace them once a year. The lob wedge, now it depends upon, that's what the tour players do, and they get them for free, obviously. But but uh, actually, when I first started at Cleveland, when I, when I went out to tour, I charged the guys for the woods. I charged him, you know, like it was like 50 bucks or something like that. And and it was just a qualifier because I worked really hard to get the, to make the woods and, you know, picked out the grain and everything. And they were I'd go out there and, and there would be a few guys that would see me right away and cherry pick them. OK. And I said, no, we're not going to do that. You're going to have to pay for these things. And so as soon as I did that, they would qualify it. And it's not a big amount of money, but. It, it forced them to also not give it to their buddy the next week or the, that ne- next weekend. They'd actually try it. And the tour, after a couple of years, said, let's not do that anymore. So I didn't. Steve, was- you got a question for Roger? Hi, Steve. Okay, Roger. Um, you spoke about talking to, to Jack, who I think is the greatest ever. I, I, agree. I recall reading one of his books back in 1983, 84, when I was a trainee. And he spoke about getting your wedges as stiff as possible because you're not trying to get distance. So I went out and got a a shaft and 
the last step down was almost touching the feral. And my wedge play was pathetic. And then 20 years later in his revised book, he spoke about getting the wedges as flexible as possible so you can feel the head. So he actually did a complete um, flip. Um, yeah. I have a lot of people who, prior to working at Drummond's, I was working at Elite Centre, uh, fitting a few touring pros, and a few guys would come in and say, look, I've got X seat taper shafts in my irons, can I put those in my wedges? And I said, look, no, I, I think you should leave the wedges where they are with because they're high-spin wedges. What's your view on someone coming in and saying, look, I want to change my Callaway wedges and put stiff uh, C-taper? Uh, what's your thoughts on flexing the shaft? I, I agree with you, um, especially, well, your gap wedge, you're, you're hitting your gap and, and your sand can be a little softer, but your lob wedge, I think, should definitely be softer. The old thing that uh, guys used to do is, is if they were using X1s or S4s or something like that, they would put, they, they used a different uh, step. They would put an eight iron shaft in their lob wedge or their highest loft. And that would soften the, the tip and, and give you more feel. Uh, still, this, the weight, this, the way, overall weight would be the same. So that's what I like. I'd like to stay in your, because you're, you're hitting full shots mostly with that, with your, your gap. And your sand is a little bit more important to have some feel, but your lob wedge especially. Now, I talked to Jack about his short game. And it was it was Phil and Phil Rogers. Phil Rogers helped him, but he never bragged about his short game. Well, he did, he hit he hit you know more greens than anybody, so he didn't need a short game. He didn't say that. I'm saying that anyway. But I I agree with you. I think your uh, lob lob wedge should be a little softer, ideally. Um, okay, guys, we're probably coming to the end. We're running a little over time, but as always, Rogers generous with his time. Is there any other questions around the room? Um, before we wrap it up, I think you'll like the full toe. It's it's fun, but it's it's a, an addition to the line. It's not a replacement of, of Phil's wedge. Wilco, I've got a question from you. Hey, uh, g'day, Roger. Chris from uh, Bendigo, in uh, hey, Chris. Australia. Oh, there you are. On the golf coverage now, the cameras are so good, and some of the close-ups, particularly impact shots, are really really good. You know, you can see where the divot starts to get taken and so forth. Has that has that changed any of the way that you're making sole grinds or is there anything you're getting out of that that you thought might be different to what you thought was? Not really. It, it, uh, you, you, uh, depends upon the shot that we were talking about the shorter shots. You gotta, you gotta lay it in there before the ball. Now the conditions, those conditions were tight and firm back there. Although, I mean, they were tight, they were kind of damp because of the, all the moisture that they had. So they were tough. That's why you saw who, was it? Uh, um, anyway, there were some players that would typically wedge the ball that that use the putter uphill. Anytime you're uphill, you have grain against you, and that's the that's the hardest shot there is. Even you know Garcia uh, used the putter a few times uphill, and and there's nobody better than than Garcia. I think it's that's that's really tough conditions. That's why he putted it, especially under the under the gun like he was trying to make the make the cut and everything you know we look at that and i all the time the the interaction uh be, before the ball with with uh, the sole and and the attack angle it's absolutely critical but in, in those situations what you don't want to do 
on an uphill lie when grain, and you have that in, in, in Australia and New Zealand as well, is that you want to match your spine angle to that, to that slope. And also, you, you want to have a little bit more bounce. So if you have a, a 60 degree and you have a 10 degree slope, now you have a 70 degree wedge. So go, I, I recommend going down to your middle wedge, which is 55 or 56, and which has typically another two, two degrees of bounce, and it's going to help you a lot. And you'll still get, and now you have a, a 66 degree on a 10 degree slope. So you got plenty of loft. You don't have to be perfect. That's the thing. You get in a situation like that. I mean, there you have to be perfect. You, you, people are not perfect. Even the pros are not perfect, and that's why he putted as good as he is, which is which is a great option. A fairway wood would have been good too, but he probably doesn't practice fairway woods off of those conditions. Roger, last question before we let you uh, retire yeah. for another it's glass great. of red. Um, who who would be the best tour players to spend some time at the nineteenth hole with, from your experience? Well, Phil would be fun. He he loves he loves some red wine. I introduced him to a vintner called Tor Kinward, and he has a wine up in, in Napa called Tor, and he has a a wine that's called Black Magic. It has Parker is a raider. I don't know if you've heard of wine, but he uh, he rates wines, and and hundred hundred is the highest. And Tor with this with this product is always at a hundred. So. Phil, Phil consumes a lot of that, so I like to hang around there. It's pretty good. So Phil would be one. There, there are a lot of guys. I mean, there, there's only a few, you know, apples that are not quite right. Be with you. I'm sorry you're you're hankered down like you are, and and we at Callaway really appreciate what you do. And I can't wait to get down there. And and uh, I think Jamie has five dollars of mine that I want back. Roger, you know, we really do appreciate your time today. I'm really glad because I've told most of these guys how nice a guy you are, and I thought they probably think I'm just making it up. So the fact that you've given us some of your time today and your knowledge is, you know, we could sit here all day and listen to you. So we really do appreciate you giving us. We know it's been hard for you guys over there too, and um, yep. we wish you all the best. And Thank you. hopefully we can get back over there soon and see you again. Good. I'd love it. And I can't wait for things to get back to uh, more normal situations. Yeah, Hang on, in there, guys. Thank you for all, all your support, though. Thank you. Take care.